good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness, and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. 
This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. It's good. So good. So good. Logo. Loved it. Forgot the logo again. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, good morning. Good morning. Great to see y'all. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you breathing? Uh -huh. Are you okay? It's the second service. You've so, been so, up for yeah, a while. Yeah, you've already had eight coffees. You should be good to go. Thank you. Okay. Well, one of the things that I do find joyful even in that video yeah. was, I don't know if you caught it because it was very, very quick, but when they were talking about the joy and the perfume is like a good friend, it actually said O to BFF on there, and I thought that was joyful. So cute. Yeah. You're my BFF. Thank you, Lori. You're my ode to BFF, Jason. Thank you, Lori. My BFF is Dave, but thank you. That's <laughs> true. That is so true. Well, when I think about joy, it actually makes me feel like I could dance. When That's I called the floss. What? That's called the floss. It's like totally 2016, but still, I can do it. Can you do it? Hmm? Can you floss? I floss every night. You want to try it? No. Come on. The, how, about the, how about the running man? Huh? The running man? No. Moonwalk? No. The, the shoot? The what? Shoop? <laughs> Shoop no, 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 shoot. I, I won't attempt to do that one. No, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That's no. really hard. No, and for those of you who are trying to encourage the moment, I'm impervious to your peer pressure. <laughs> At 46 years old, I'm settled in who I am, and I don't need your encouragement. I feel good about myself. Cannot make him dance. All right. It's all good. Save all the dancing for me. Well, joy is a great, great topic. I'm excited to talk about joy, and I'm excited for what the Lord has for us. As we sit here today in our circumstance, in our situation, in whatever we have going on in our life, we can all be encouraged with the joy of the Lord. But I want to go back to last week where we talked about hope, and we talked about how hope is not anchored into the outcome of a situation, but actually there is a living hope that is available to us through the death and resurrection of Christ. And so in order to anchor to the living hope, we have to look back. But when it comes to joy, joy is all about looking beyond. And I just want to unpack the scripture that we read last week. If you weren't here, you're going to get it today. It's not going to come up on the screen, but if you do have a Bible with you and you want to look it up, it's in 1 Peter chapter 1. You can open up your Bible and follow along. Because I think that this verse, this portion of scripture has some powerful revelations for us. First, about hope. It starts in hope, and then it anchors in joy at the end of this passage. And I think it's a profound, profound truth for all of us. God has had me stuck in 1 Peter this week, and I've read it every single day, the whole book, every single day, just ruminating on it, just meditating on it, just listening to the words, and I actually don't think it's finished. There's more that the Lord has for me to unpack with this, but I want to read this verse, and I believe that God wants to bring some truth to your life for it. So, Father, we just pray a blessing on the reading of the word today. God, would you bring light to what it is that you want to bring light to in our lives? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to bring a fresh revelation of who Jesus is this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 
uh, three. We're going to start at verse three. And I, I'm in denial that I need glasses, so we're going to see how, how we do here. Look how far away. The print on my Bible is so small, and I'm like, okay, how much further can my arm go down? All right, we're good. We're good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. I, I I think that's the first thing we need to just stop at for a second. According to his great mercy, the truth is that all of what we have in Christ is rooted in the grace and the mercy of God. We literally just sang about it. We just sang about his great mercy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So because of the mercy and the grace of God, he has caused us to be born again, which means that he has given us new life because of the grace and mercy of the gift of salvation that Jesus gave us when he died on the cross and he rose. And because of that, we actually have a living hope. It's not just a hope in the outcome of a cer certain circumstance. It's not just a hope in that I just would desire something to happen. It actually is alive in us and supernatural. But that's not just, that's not the only thing it says. So according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. To, so it's for something, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, your salvation is more than just something that happens here on this earth, more than something that benefits you here on this earth. Yes, your salvation gives you reconciliation with God, a relationship with God, forgiveness of your sins, an ability to live in a freedom and new life that, that we didn't have before. But it's not only that. There's actually a rich, great, unfading inheritance that is going to be found for us in the life to come who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, there's a revelation coming. There's another revelation coming of this great gift of grace that Christ has given us. In this, you rejoice. Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If necessary? How many have been grieved by various trials? How many's life is just a series of various trials? I know that our lives are full of various trials. This world is full of grievous trials. You just have to put on the news or listen to the radio or read an article. There are various trials that are happening all around us. It's funny that it says, if necessary. Yes, it must be necessary. It absolutely must be necessary because they're all around us. But there's a reason. There's a reason for these trials. It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes through a fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, everything that you have gone through, everything that you are going through, and everything that you will go through is not for nothing. 
It's not for nothing. That actually those trials are going to be the very praise and glory that we pour out to Jesus in the time to come. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the very thing that you're sitting in today? Can you imagine that being literally the praise and the glory that you pour out to Jesus? Well, let me tell you, when we stand anchored in a living hope, when we actually stand anchored in the joy of the Lord, that is our truth. Did you want to say something about the genuineness of our faith? Absolutely, because nothing in Christian faith is living in denial at all. And what it actually says here in the text is that these trials come and it actually produces genuineness to our faith. As a show of hands here, has anyone here ever spoken something by faith but you didn't feel it on the inside? Can I see your hands, please? It's stuck up here. So there's all things that we experience or that we say by faith or we engage by faith, but they're not real to us. They are real and they are true. Puberty, sorry. (laughs) They are real and they are true and they are rooted in scripture. But for us, we have yet to embrace it in its fullness. And these trials push out the inauthentic from our lives. And what they produce is the genuineness of faith, which is more pure than gold. But all the impurities are removed from the trial. So the next time or this time or every time you're in a trial or facing something, also know that God is pushing out the inauthentic so that there can be something genuine and true in your life. So as a Christian, you're not spitting cliches at people. You're giving them an anchor of faith and truth in who Christ is. It's different. Wow. So good. That's so good. And that genuineness doesn't come from all the good times that we have. It doesn't come from sharing how amazing every part of my life is. The true genuineness comes out of a space of vulnerability to be able to say, you know what? Gosh, these things are happening. I wish they weren't, but they are. And I don't know if I'm going to get through it, but... I anchor in something greater than my circumstance. Okay, this is the part that brings in joy, okay? So we've talked about hope. We've talked about the living hope. We talked about the living hope being in our salvation and what Jesus has done for us. Verse 9, 8, 9. I can't see that number. I think it's 9. 8. It's 8. It's not on the screen. No one knows. Just go for it. I know. Totally. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And in believing, okay, in our believing in him, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, the very genuineness of our faith produces a joy in us that is inexpressible, that is beyond what seems normal, that is beyond our circumstance, that goes beyond what seems like we could contrive in our human effort. You see, even though we don't see him, when we believe with all of our hearts, when we have faith and believe, we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. This is the reason for it all. This is the point of the whole thing. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That's good. So joy is looking at our lives. I want you to think about all that's in your life at this current moment. So joy is looking at our lives, but also looking beyond to see King Jesus. You know, one of the things that I love is photography. 
And in photography, as you all know, in fact, your natural eye is doing it right now, there is something beautiful called depth of field, where a skilled photographer can keep a subject in focus where everything else in the shot is, in, is present, is there, but yet there's a depth of field that can be blurry. Or they can focus on something in the foreground and in the background everything is blurred out or something in the background and without the foreground. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's what your eye is doing right now. You're focused on Lori or me, whoever you want, but like you're looking up here, but you can see everything behind me, but you're not focusing in on it. That's the metaphor. So we have this natural representation of what biblical joy is all about. It is for you and I to look at whatever is in our lives, but then look beyond to what seems blurry but is ever present in our lives, and that is the persons and the person in the presence of Jesus in our lives. And it is to trust and to know that though my eyes are fixed maybe on pain, or my eyes are fixed on pleasure, or my eyes are fixed on circumstance, or my eyes are fixed on anxiety or worry, or whatever you want to put in the foreground that is in the focus biblical joy is not saying that doesn't exist biblical joy is saying that exists but so does a lot of other things in the periphery and i choose to see beyond to see this moment i want to bring you a text that we usually talk about at christmas and here's what it says in luke chapter 2 it says and the angel said to them fear not for behold i bring you good news everyone say good news, good news. of great joy Okay, so it's good news. It's not good advice. It's good news of great joy. And what is the good news? And it's going to be for everyone, for all the people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's Jesus. He has come into the world fully God, fully man in the person of Jesus Christ. Here he is. The angel says, fear not, for behold, unto you is given this great and this good news of great joy. Here's Jesus, and Jesus comes as a baby. Right. Yet the angel says, no, no, everything is changed because of Jesus has come, but it's going to still be about 30 more years until he does Jesus-type things. But yet Jesus is fully present Think of, there's little moments where you see him in the temple or you see him over here. But think about everybody who, as Jesus is growing up, he is fully Jesus. He is fully God, fully man. He's growing in wisdom in the stature of the Lord, the scripture says. But think about loved ones passing away, things happening, and the angels are saying to the shepherds in the field here, behold, it is great joy. They are saying, look in the foreground, look at who is coming, not just at the circumstances, look beyond to the hope that Jesus is here. And so in life, you and I, as humans, have a tendency to focus on, again, that which is right in front of us. And that's not good or it's not bad. It just is. But oftentimes, our circumstances, maybe our problems or our trials, they don't go away by staring at them. In fact, we usually get more anxious. And so biblical joy, hope, is anchored looking back. Joy is looking beyond. It is like depth of field. I see it, but I see Jesus working. I'm trusting that Jesus is working all around the space. So, yeah, that's right. So biblical joy doesn't say stop looking at the problem. Yes, you can look at the problem. It doesn't deny that the problem exists, but it 
says don't only look at the problem. Look past the problem and see the provision. See Christ as the provision to whatever it is that you're going through, that, that you're facing. I think sometimes in church we do each other a disservice because there can be this idea or this impression that, you know, if you're a good Christian, then everything should be good in your life. If you're, if you're doing this whole walk of faith well or right, that somehow you should just be happy all the time and you should just be in the joy of the Lord all the time and, 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 and that you don't really have that many problems. But the truth is that every single one of us are facing difficulties and trials. Every single day they're happening in us, around us, through us, by us, to us, all of it. It's happening everywhere. And just denying that they exist, we actually are uh, we're actually not even allowing the working of God in our heart, that genuineness of our faith to be worked out inside of us. In fact, our power comes as we can acknowledge and admit where we are, but we can look past where we are to see Christ as the provision. I know for me, just, just my personality and kind of how I am, joy on the outside, how I express it, is very easy and natural. In fact, I can get excited about very, very small things. Anything makes me happy and excited. Most things I can get excited about. And you see joy on my face. I have these big smiles and these big expressions and my body gets all into how joyful I get. If I, if I greet somebody or see somebody, I'm literally like, hey, I'm so happy to see you. And I am, like I'm really happy. And my face shows you that I'm really, really happy to see you. Rhonda and I, we, we record a podcast, and so while we're recording, I mean, I mean, Pastor Rhonda is the same with her face. If Her and I make the funniest faces while we're recording our podcast because we can't talk to each other while the other person's talking, so we're literally like, One time I recorded us, like I made a video of us doing our podcast, and after I was like, Rhonda, is that what we look like all the time? It's so embarrassing. Like, it's terrible. Our faces are so, so loud and expressive. But joy bubbles out on the outside in that kind of way. When I'm on the treadmill at the gym, sometimes I've got my tunes going. I've got my worship music on, and if a song comes on that just, like, just touches my spirit, I'm literally jogging like this, and then all of a sudden it'll start on my face. You know, I'm out of breath, so I can't sing, unfortunately, so I'm, out of, so I'm, I'm running, and then my face starts, and then I'm like, and I'm literally, like, running, and I have the biggest smile on my face, and I probably look like such a tool, and I'm like, and my hands start going up like this, so, like, I'm running like this, and then I start like this, and then I'm like... They're going like this, and then I'm like, oh, like, I, just, I can't, I just, I just have to give myself over to it. It's awesome. Yeah. When we were in the gym the other day, yeah. we both had earphones on. Yeah. Uh, headphones I listened on. to my music real loud. Oh, yeah, I know. And I heard this, un I just heard this sound, like this, I wouldn't say it's an ungodly sound, but it was intense. And I said, who is that? And I looked over, and it was you. It was you. You were flipping a tire, and I, I took, I took my breath away. I had flashbacks. I thought, I thought for sure you were giving birth again. And well, it felt like it flipping that tire. That I was know. 176 pounds. I know it brought, it's it, really it brought heavy. me joy though. I, I just looked over and I was like, man, work it. 
But you know what? This is the thing, okay? Joy expressed on your face is not necessarily a true measure of the joy of the Lord. It, it can be, absolutely. It, it can be out of an overflow of the joy of the Lord, but it isn't always. I mean, we all have the funny friend. You know what I mean? The friend who uses humor literally to cover the pain that's going on in their lives. We can use an exterior of joy to actually cover or mask what is really going on in our lives. And the truth is that we have to allow the pain to come up and allow Jesus to heal that. If we really really, really want to experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord. But one of the things that I think is a beautiful takeaway from this morning's message is just that you don't have to have everything together. You don't have to have all the problems in your life together or figured out in in order to walk in the joy of the Lord. You literally can be struggling and have the joy of the Lord, right? Your circumstance may not change, but if you can see past your circumstance to the provision and stand in faith in your circumstance, yes, in your difficulty, in your challenge, you can have both simultaneously. And so I think that's a really important takeaway for us. You know, even though for me, joy does look very expressive, what does joy look like for you on your face? Well, why are you clapping? <laughs> for... For me, joy looks like this. It pretty much just, yeah. this is joy. If I'm really super happy, I'm, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, I love it. And if I'm really sad, I'm like, man, that sucks. It's terrible. Same face. Same face. Same face which, for both. which, again, if you're, if you're, is anyone else like that? Okay, so my people who are called by my personality... No, no, one of the things that you know that is true is this, is that sometimes we feel the need to perform right. for someone else because we, if, you know, if someone gives you a gift and you're like, thanks, that's awesome, I love it. You know, and they like dreamt about it and thought about it and like, or like just, you know, and then I give it to you and you're like, wow, thank you. It's awesome. You know, you feel like you have to go like, Oh my gosh! And it feels all like, wow! And your head's going, like, is that enough? Is it like, come on. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can be robbed of moments because, yeah. like, you're like, well, like, it's not for me, but is it, are you good now? Am I feeling like, But here's what I want to tell you the joy of the Lord is nothing like that. There's one person on the planet that you never have to perform for, and that's God. Because he knows you. He wired you. He created you. He knows the innermost yeah. part of your heart. And so, That's again, right. it's, yeah. it's not this place of, and again, look, I look at like, I, I make jokes with it. Like, the, a healthy human being also gauges the proportional response required in a relationship to convey what the other person needs. It's not all about you. Okay? I get that. Like, yeah. Well, my personality says, so like, oh, just knock it off. Grow up. Right? Just express yourself. <laughs> it's not the heart of it. It's at all. Right? Come on. Right? The heart of it is yeah. me, hey, fully engaged. But, yeah, one of the things when I first met you at 17 years old or eight, 16 years old, 16 years old, and then I went away and my heart was sad. And then I saw you again at 17 and my heart was filled with joy. But I also called, I remember your maiden name is Eitz, mm-hmm. Eitza, German. <laughs> and uh, I yeah. always said I loved your Eitz eyes, which were like these big, I can't do it, but these like big like saucers. And you still yeah. do it today. If I point a cloud, you're like, oh, silver lining. And I'm like, look, it's gray. Right? So <laughs> we work. 
It's going to rain, and you're like, it's awesome. The sun's behind it, you know, and it works really well. It's true. It's so true. It's so true. You are like Kermit. And I'm like Sam the, I'm Sam the bald eagle. (laughs) But it works. But but even all that, the joy of the Lord. Is my strength. It does. And it resides in you. Yes. And it resides in you. Thank you for that affirmation. I appreciate that. All right. Nehemiah 8.10. Okay. It's one of the most famous scriptures. It's one that we put on t-shirts. We quote uh, on mugs. We've got probably taped to um, notes in our house to remind us because this is an anchor scripture. This is a scripture that we love to recite that most, a lot of people know. And it's for the joy of the Lord is is my strength, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think one of the reasons we resonate so much with that scripture is because every single day we need strength. Every day, every day. For some people, literally when their alarm goes off in the morning, they're literally like, oh God, help me. Like literally from the moment that your eyes open, you literally are calling on the strength of the Lord. Maybe there's a difficult thing that you're facing. Maybe you're waking up and you're, and you hate your job. You, you have to get up and go work a job you absolutely hate. Or maybe you have to work for a boss that is just unreasonable and unreal and unmanageable. I don't. I have a great boss. Jason's my boss. And I have a great boss. But, <laughs> but, but not everybody does. Not everyone can work for you. Not everybody can work for you. Maybe you wake up and you literally are dealing with something physical in your body and you wake up with pain and you're like, Lord, like, give me strength. I need strength. I need strength. We all need strength. We don't just need strength when we wake up in the morning. We need strength throughout the day. We need strength to lean into a hard conversation. We need strength to love people who are really, really, really hard to love. We need strength. And so this scripture resonates with us, but I want to point something out. It says, for the joy of the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D, week two of our series, Yahweh, Adonai, the one true God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, the joy of the Lord. It's the Lord's joy. It's his joy. It's not something we have to contrive from deeper within us. It's not just be more thankful and you'll find it. No, it's literally a supernatural joy that comes from God. It's his joy that he wants to give you. It's his joy that is to be our strength. It's his, it comes from him. It's his power. And I think that is so, so profound. It's there for us literally to benefit from out of our walk with God, out of our decision to receive the gift of grace. That is a gift that he gives us. And we can appropriate the power of the joy of the Lord in our life in order to stand in the midst of our circumstance and see beyond what our circumstance says to the provision which comes from God. Yeah, so two scriptures, and then we'll start wrapping up here. Paul, a human, just like you and I, the apostle Paul in the scripture who wrote about a ton or two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, while in prison, he embraces the good news. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, and then 3, verses 1, and then 12 to 13. I'm going to read it all consecutively. Yes, and I will rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, it's important that we pray for one another, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope, looking back at the resurrection, that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, in my body whether it by life or by death. Wow. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, then he continues writing this letter in chapter 3. Remember, he wrote the letter. There was no chapter and verses, just a letter. Finally, my brothers, rejoice. Everyone say, I rejoice. rejoice. In the Lord. So don't rejoice in your own optimism. Right. Don't rejoice in your own perspective. Don't rejoice in what you see. No, no, no. Don't, don't rejoice in you. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Everyone say, thank God. Okay, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. However, I press on to make it my goal. So it's a struggle. It's something we engage. It's a decision that we make. It's a choice we make every single day. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I, because what Jesus has done, from there, I make this choice. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I see what is reality, but I see beyond it. I press on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So again, you can see your life, but you see beyond to see what God is doing. I may be afflicted in this moment, but God, you are the one who brings comfort. I may be sick in this moment, but God, I trust that you are eventually healer. I am grieving in this moment, but Lord, you are the one who is promised comfort. God, I'm in this place where I'm in lack, but you are the God who provides. It's not denying what is, but it's actually letting some other things come into focus rather than our current circumstance or trouble, pleasure or pain remain in the foreground to be the focus and the identity of our lives. And so let's just get really, really practical because if you're here and you're listening to this message and you, you feel like you have a revelation of the joy of the Lord, that, that you, you are operating in the joy of the Lord, that yes, there's trials and difficulties going on in your life, but that you can, you can see the provision of Christ in the midst of your circumstance. You're just saying, amen, amen. Yes, I hear that. Amen, amen. But there's some of you here today that are in a situation that is so dark that is so difficult that literally your joy has been robbed. Your joy is being robbed from you. What do I do? What do you do in that place? Because the, rea the reality is that we do all face really, really difficult, really dark times, really dark seasons where there just doesn't seem to be an end in sight. That, that you know, a couple of weeks ago, Hannah talked about the tunnel, that we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, that we're literally in the middle and it's just darkness all around and we can't see a way out and we can get discouraged in that place and our joy can literally be robbed of us. We have a very real enemy who is trying to take advantage and exploit the circumstances that you're in to rob you of that living hope and that joy is your strength, that joy of the Lord is your strength that God wants to give you in the midst of your circumstance. And so, I could give you some great advice in this moment to the answer of that question. I could say, you know what? You should probably journal. You should journal every day. I know, even better, do a gratitude journal. You should every day write something you're thankful for and anchor yourself into that. I could say, you know what? You should get some exercise. That's what you need to do. You need to get out of the house, get some exercise. That would be good. If you want to restore your joy, get some exercise. Or I could no say... No way, Jose. No, no. Eat a donut. Don't... <laughs> eat a donut. Eat, eat the whole box. That's right. That's yeah, right. That's joy. 
you could, you could get some therapy. You could go and get help and talk to a counselor. And you know what? All of that is good advice, okay? All of that is good advice. Those are great practices. Those are great things that you can do. But I promise you that those things alone, you will not find the joy of the Lord that God wants to give. Because those things, those things are just good advice. And yes, should you do them? Yes, those are healthy practices. But there is a good news that anchors us far, far, far deeper than just good advice. And it comes from God's word. And when we have questions about our lives, when we are wondering what to do, this is where we need to turn. We need to open up God's word and we need to ask him, what are the answers for the problems and the difficulties that we seek? And so in John chapter 15, I want to read a scripture. It's John chapter 15, verse 9. And I feel like this is the answer to how do I find my joy? It says, as the, this is Jesus talking, and it says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And so this is Jesus saying, as my Father has loved me, from that place of acceptance, of perfect and unconditional love, I love you with that same love. Abide in me. Abide in my love. And then it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So there's actually an answer to how do I abide in God's love? How do I abide in Jesus' love for me? Keep his commandments. Follow what his word says. Do what his word says, and you will abide in his love. And listen to this. He says, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, Jesus led the way for us. He went ahead of us and showed us how to do this. And verse 11 says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That is the desire of Jesus' heart towards us, is that his joy would reside inside of us as we abide in his perfect love for us so that our joy may be full, so that when we stand in a difficulty, we can see past that difficulty to the provision that Jesus has already provided by the great price that he paid on the cross for us. 